there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I hope that the content of each episode brings you hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways. The Special Needs Parenting Village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. Please connect with me through my website, Facebook page, or Instagram account, and let's keep this conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, please leave a rating and review or share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in to Season 2 of Living the Sky Life. Welcome back to Living the Sky Life. Today is a special episode. I have two guests actually appearing with me. I stumbled upon the story of um, the organization that I'm going to profile and also the parent in an article in Autism Parenting Magazine. So a little bit about my guest today. Uh, First is Dottie Davis. She lives in Mandeville, Louisiana, and is a mother of four children with her youngest, John, being diagnosed with autism. She served on the PTA at her son's school in order to stay involved with the administration, teachers, and staff. Dottie also served as parent liaison for the special education department for the St. Tammany Parish School System for three years. She helped to facilitate communication between parents of special needs and or gifted students and school administrators and teachers. Also on the podcast today um, is the organization Stark of Louisiana, represented by Mark Baham. Um, Stark of Louisiana provides a lifetime of services, training, advocacy, resources, and community connections. Their programs include early intervention, daycare, respite care, work training, vocational employment, home care, and residential living to help move um, individuals toward greater independence. Throughout the episode, you may hear me actually say Spark instead of Stark, S-T-A-R-C, Um, I didn't even catch that I was doing it until the end. Mark thankfully clarifies that it is Stark, not Spark with a P. Um, I think I got that because one of the um, programs within my company uh, is an education program, and it's called Spark, almost identical um, acronym and wording. So (laughs) I got a little confused. So my apologies to Stark of Louisiana for saying the name incorrectly. I will link up uh, the ways that you can contact Mark directly to learn more about Stark and the programs that are involved, and also Dottie's email if you want to reach out to her and talk to her a little bit more about adults um, in independent living. So please enjoy my conversation with both Dottie and Mark. So today's episode on Living the Sky Life, I have uh, two incredible guests that I am so excited to talk to. I actually uh, was reading my current issue of Autism Parenting Magazine and saw an article written by Dottie, who is here with me today, and she outlined the um, Stark of Louisiana program that her son is a part of. We're going to get into all of that, but I've got Dottie Davis with me today and Mark Baham. So welcome to the podcast, both of you. Good morning. Thank you. Hello. Hello. Um, So there's a lot to unpack here because John is an adult. So I don't want to take you all the way back to his diagnosis when he was young, but um, I just wondered if you could share a little bit about the journey through autism with John um, and, you know, maybe at diagnosis and then just kind of how he's progressed up to adulthood. 
Sure. Um, when he was about two years old, we noticed that he was not developing, uh, talking, not, you know, eye contact, doing the normal things when you go to the pediatrician and they say, have he met these milestones? And we're like, no. But actually, our pediatrician said, well, you've got three older kids in the house and they're speaking for him, so he'll just grow out of it. So wanting to believe the doctor that nothing's wrong with your child, we just let it go for a year. And then by the time he was three, we could tell there was something not right so we went back and then it was just a whirlwind of okay you need to see a neurologist you need to see you know a speech therapist and he was diagnosed and it was just a whirlwind mm -hmm. um we were very blessed here in new orleans to find a school called the chartwell center it's c-h-a-r-t-e-l-l -L. it's located in new orleans it is a school that is specifically for children on the autism spectrum it starts at age three and right now they're going all the way up to the age 30. they've got a wonderful adult program there too um so at age three and a half uh, about at age three he started attending the chartwell center which for me was a godsend because i, I had no clue what really autism was and how to you know raise a child with it so um he was there for about five years um and through that um the staff there really helped me to I really just mimic it whatever they did in the classroom I recreated it at home if there was a you know a, a felt board with um you know the hungry pack caterpillar or whatever it was that you know he, yeah. he he did there and he was responding to I went and bought it and you know or we redid it at home to try to just continue um the um the consistency of you know in the routine because if it was helping him to speak more and to interact more at school i wanted to reinforce that at home plus it helped me actually kind of you know communicate with my own child mm -hmm. so um uh he was there for about five years and then uh he was able to mainstream into the special education program here in saint tammany parish uh, around age nine started in second grade so we just worked on at that point we just kind of worked on educational levels because we weren't really sure where he was at um and he did well um you know for what he could do uh, he was in a um an include a, a self-contained uh reduced numbers <laughs> class for several years and then when he hit junior high um one of the things i think a lot of well i forgot but most parents do is yeah you have a kid with autism but you also have a teenager and you have a teenager mm -hmm. through puberty yeah and, you know you're trying to it's a fine line of, okay what is related to the to the autism and what is the typical teenager going through puberty who's saying leave me alone i don't want to you know i don't need somebody following me around things so i think when that hit in junior high i really had to sit back and go okay you know um we he needs help as a as a young man as well as he does with his autistic, you know, um, disabilities. So I think the junior high thing for me was where, you know, they start talking about, okay, when he gets to high school, what's your diploma bound plan, you know, and you're going to graduate, what's he want to do after high school? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I have no clue. So between that conversation and thinking, well, he's not going to be able to get a high school diploma. Uh, I have no clue what we're going to do with him afterwards, what's out there. And on top of that, he's struggling to become a teenager into adulthood with the same typical feelings as another to any other teenager. I want my independence. You know, I'm too, I'm getting a little older than you to be babying me kind of thing. So that all just culminated. And he had a really rough junior high two years because of the, just all the emotional and psychological and physical changes that were happening. So 
we decided then, um, really thought it would be best to start focusing on how he's going to be able to have some type of a productive life after high school and for his own you know, benefit and safety and all of that, he needed some living skills. He needed some communication skills. He needed to know that um, he needed safety skills. He needed to know that the police were not bad people. They were there if you needed them or what they were there for and uh, ways to communicate if he was upset. You know, if he if he ran away, he was a runner. He's still a runner. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he's a fast runner. Um, yeah, so um, uh, a lot of that I just, you know, introducing him into society and and trying to find that norm of how he can have a productive life in it um but also just to be able to work around where his limitations were so mm -hmm. that's kind of where we got up to okay we need to have some kind of plan we need to start now and to be honest with you it, um I say junior high, it wouldn't even be bad to even do it maybe in fifth or sixth grade, you know, yeah. before the puberty hits, uh -huh. um, just to get them ready for all of that. So we really focused that in high school um, on his IEP and took that route. That's such a challenge too. I mean, puberty itself, but um, with, with our kids, they don't talk about emotions. They don't understand necessarily, even if they don't feel well, like with my son being nonverbal, I mean, if he has a stomach ache, I never know until, you know, he's actually sick or something happens. And so I imagine, you know, when, when they're so stressed out with puberty too, and all the emotions they can't identify already. And then on top of it, things that are happening that they can't explain <laughs> just because of the hormones and all right, that goes and along with it. Yeah, another thing that I noticed just that's just a normal notice for um, teenage boys is they have one mom. They don't want to have five or six. And, <laughs> you know, the parents are female. And honestly, the parents are female. The teachers are mostly female. Yeah. And so every day he's got some woman walking around with him, another mama, you know, mm -hmm. are you okay? What do you want? What do you need? And he just really got over the female thing. And so we were, I was very lucky that we got to high school. There were two men teaching the uh, the reduced numbers class. So he had a male teacher his high school years. And then coming into Stark, he's got, Mark has been, you know, just checking them all the time and has a great mm -hmm. relationship with him. But just the involvement of male mentors in some capacity was a huge benefit for him because again it's like a teenage boy i don't need four or five mamas telling me what to do and but then when he had a man you know come and work with him he was he was better with it yeah so i found that i just like wow he needs some male mentorship in his life so and just more relatable you know absolutely I'm sure he knows that guys can better understand what he's going through than his mom can or Absolutely. Some of the other women. What is his communication like? Is he does he use any AAC devices or is he completely able to express himself through words and speaking? He is. He okay. is. Um, I'd say you know, maybe mid to high functioning. I mean, he can definitely you know have a conversation with you uh -huh. um, and just you know um, express what he's feeling to a point. You kind of have to work in some ways to you know, get him to kind of, I think a lot of that is he's thinking it, he just can't get the, the, the words from his brain to his mouth, you know, to really let you know, but mm -hmm. uh, he can communicate um, his needs and can have 
conversations with you. It, it, you can kind of guess what he's he's thinking or what he's feeling, and if you ask him, he'll he'll respond yes or no, and, and that kind of a, a thing. But I think he's a great communicator. I he, love talking he, to John. He, he, <laughs> Yeah, the great one of the great things about John is he has no clue how funny he is. He yeah. is so hilarious, and and when he says something that cracks you up, you know, um, he doesn't he doesn't realize it. And so, you know, he 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 skyped me last night, and he said, "Hey," and I knew when he skypes, there's something going on. Hey, John, how you doing? Good, I'm doing good. Okay, so what's going on? Well, if you must know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm like, well, you call me, so I guess I need to know. So, but it's just little statements that he's yeah. he's remembered, and so that's how he communicates. Well, if you must know, and then he'll tell me. So, um, it's a great way of communicating. He's found his own way, but he is he's hilarious. Yeah. He's probably pretty matter of fact, right? You know, <laughs> just you know that is Mark and I've talked about that. Uh, John has taught me um, and a lot of people. You just keep it simple. It is yeah. what it is. You say it, you're going to do it. You say 530, 531. He wants to know where you are, That's right. you know, um, and as long as he's, there's no in between, no, um, you know, it'll, it'll happen in a little while or in maybe in a couple of weeks, you know, they really need to kind of get down to, okay, I need to know exactly what's going on just to help them process it and be prepared for it. Mm -hmm. so. Well, how did you, so was it during your um, like transition years with the IEP working on transitions? Um, that you uncovered Stark or how did the two of you guys uh, kind of get to know each other, you and Mark and, and the facility um, that we're going to talk about that offers so much? Well, Stark is really um, prominent here in St. Tammany Parish for what they do with children and adults with disabilities. So we were familiar with the organization when we moved to St. Tammany. Um, so we were involved with the organization and then they have a um, um, section in their organization that helps with uh, people who come out of um, the or age out, I guess, as you would say, you know, uh -huh. because the school system provides here in Louisiana, they product to age 22 uh -huh. for services. So after age 22, they're kind of aging out. And so they have staff who would um, come to the school or come meet you at home and see what your your child's needs were and see if there was something in their day programs you know, or anything else that they had that they might be able to do or be involved with just during the day or activities. So I met up with one of their staff members, CJ Gardner, and uh, we talked and I started having him coming to my IEP meetings. And um, we've, we, I discovered through there this whole um, uh, program that our high schools have, which I think a lot of them do. Um, when you're juniors or seniors, you can start going out like on an internship, you know, mm -hmm. if you want to go out half a day. And I said, you know what, that sounds great for John, you know, so why can't John go out, you know, maybe a day or two um, on this internship thing, you know, and go out and go over to the local Stark office and he can shred paper or he can make copies or he can just do something to, uh, for a couple of reasons, to get him out in the community, mm -hmm. to get him to have to uh, communicate with others besides his family. Um, and also to get him kind of familiar with the Stark organization because uh, I had learned then about the, the full day programs and then the, the potential of a residential program. So the more that John was exposed to Stark and his staff and the routine, the more comfortable he was as we started introducing it more and, and a full day after uh, high school was out where he was going every day for a couple hours. And then when the residential home came open to just to go right into that because he was familiar with everybody. So 
Um, that one I would say for parents would be a great thing to look at if if there's any type of those programs mm-hmm. they can be offered to anybody. So he did that one or two days a week his junior year and then uh, three days a week his senior year. Awesome. Well, so Mark, um, I just know from the article that, and correct me if I'm wrong, that Stark um, is a lifetime of services. It stands for services, training, advocacy, resources, and community connections. I love that. <laughs> it's a mouthful, but I love every bit of it. So can you talk a little bit about the mission of Stark and just the program in general, um, an overview, I guess? Yeah, it, it is a mouthful. Uh, you know, Stark's mission is to provide a lifetime of services, uh, uh, training, advocacy, resources, and community connections for individuals with developmental disabilities. We do that through a variety of ways, uh, but, but you talk about uh, it being a, a, a mouthful. Uh, we, we changed our name about 10 years ago. We were, uh, there's a, a national ARC, which is Association for Retarded Citizens, and we we're St. Tammany. So we were uh, Stark St. Tammany uh, Association for Retarded Citizens. And we're obviously sensitive to the, the word retarded. And it, and it really came uh, to our attention when we print checks for individuals that would uh, work in some of our programs that I'll talk about. And it said St. Tammany Association of Retarded Citizens on the top. And one of the uh, participants asked her mom, am I retarded? And it really just opened our eyes to it. So we changed our name. Uh, it's been 10 years ago or so to simply Stark of Louisiana, which uh, stands for the Services, Training, Advocacy, Resources, and Community Connections. Uh, We wanna make a meaningful uh, difference in the lives of not only the individuals we serve, but their families as well. Um, And we have many different programs and ways we do that. Uh, I don't know if you want me to get into each of them now, but we- uh, If it's a lifetime, is is there a certain age where you have programming that starts for young children and then obviously up into the adult years? Yes, we have early intervention for for children, uh, infant to age five, um, that is in-home services, uh, therapies, and then they go into the school system once they reach kindergarten where they stay until they are ready to exit the school system. Uh, We still provide some in-home care to school-age individuals, uh, but then once they exit the school system, then they can come back to start through a a variety of programs. Uh, But we have an agreement with the school board. uh, Dottie was talking about the internship, but uh, individuals ages 16 and older, the the, the teachers can tell they're not gonna be able to make it in the workplace uh, without some sort of support. Uh, they bring them over to our facilities a few days a week and let them work with, alongside our day participants doing different tasks, whether it's shredding. Uh, we're, we're right here next to New Orleans, so we Mardi Gras is a big thing. So we recycle Mardi Gras beads. That's a, one of the big things that we do. And we probably have 75 individuals that work on that contract. They clean, sort, repackage, and then we sell those back to the community. And uh, our individuals do that and earn a weekly paycheck. Uh, they pay their taxes, uh, and through that, just gain independence, which is uh, so big for them and for their families. Um, we have uh, residential services where John lives. We have um, four residential homes. Each has eight participants, eight residents in each home. Uh, staff, twenty-four hours a day, three hundred and sixty-five days a year. And it's really a, a family setting. You know, uh, residential services gets a stigma of an uh, institution. And I invite anybody to come visit our homes because it is so far from that. I mean, uh, our home, I'd love to live in some of the homes we have. Uh, <laughs> Very nice. 
but um but we 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 have a rn a full-time rn that watches over their medical care you know helps guide the staff on how to care for different things and through covid that's been a whole another challenge uh, so we have four residential homes uh, we're in the process of trying to open a fifth um, and I heard you say that your state doesn't really have any services, which I hate to hear, guys. That's yeah, it's sad. pretty bleak. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I talked about the stigma of residential uh, services being an institution and how I think we're so far from that. But because of that, uh, the state has put a moratorium on beds, uh, licensed beds. So you can't just open a residential home. I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to just build a home, do fundraising, build a home, bring in eight people, but you can't do that. So we have to go to other providers in the state and try to buy their licensed beds from them. Uh, so we've been able to do that for our last 16 beds. Uh, we have a, another home, we have eight beds warehouse right now. So as soon as we have the funds available, we'll be building another home and moving eight more people into that home. But you know, through uh, enhanced and enriched lives through service uh, services provided at organizations like Stark, uh, you know, we have art uh, art services, music therapy, uh, physical therapy, um, a lot of things like that. But because of those enhanced and enriched lives, uh, individuals are now outliving their parents. You know, years ago they might only live not necessarily autism or, or some forms of autism, but but your, your Downs and fetal alcohol syndrome, things like that. Those individuals are now living into their 60s, 70s, sometimes even 80s, and they're outliving their uh, their parents. So their parents are, are frantic, wondering what's going to happen to their loved one once they're gone. So our residential services are very near and dear to my heart, and we are always going to do whatever we can as an uh, organization to continue to expand that program and provide comfort for families like Dottie. And I'll say, too, he talks about residential homes. We're not talking about like on a uh, an acre somewhere where there's just a home. I mean, John's mm -hmm. homes bigger. It's in a neighborhood. These homes are in neighborhoods. There's, there's two over here in Mandeville. It's close to the Stark Day facility. But that's another thing is, you know, you're wanting them to experience as they have a right to experience just normal life and, and living in a, that's what they did growing up, living in a house in a neighborhood. And now they're in a house in a neighborhood and everything is just, you know, feels as normal as it should be. Mm-hmm. Mark, how many um, support staff live, do they live in the home or how many are there assigned per eight uh, residents? Yeah. Uh, eight residents in, in each home uh, and there's always at least two staff on, on duty at all times. And then we have uh, uh, case managers that are in and out of the home on top of that. We have our residential administrators that are in and out of the homes on top of that. Uh, but there's always at least two individuals on staff full time. Yes, mm -hmm. They don't live there. They're, yes. they're coming yeah. Good question. Yeah. And I tell you, we were actually just talking about this before we came on. It would have been a lot easier through COVID if we had staff just live there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, but no, the staff uh, come in and out on shifts. The most they can work uh, straight is 16 hours. Yeah. Well, I would imagine that would be a lot for anyone, you know, to, to do that for that long. So um, I, I would guess that you would have to have a certain level of functioning to be able to be a resident in any of these homes, um, you know, in not incontinent, um, having some sort of communication abilities. No, not necessarily. Uh, okay. We've got all levels of abilities in our homes. I mean, uh, we have ambulatory and non-ambulatory and, you know, um, everyone just works together and we make it work. Uh, 
the resident uh, might be nonverbal but ambulatory, and the next might be verbal but confined to a wheelchair. Uh, and yet another one might read at a junior high school level and compete in the Special Olympics. So the, the nonverbal ambulatory pushes the resident in the wheelchair uh, to the table that has been set by the independent um, resident. So they function as a family and work together. But we have all levels. Um, some medical conditions we cannot take, uh, like peg tubes, uh, thing, things of that nature. But as far as uh, just physical disabilities or, or um, uh, ambulatory, uh, verbal, nonverbal, we, we've got all ends of the spectrum. We, we serve our most severe to our most independent. Well, that's comforting to know. I mean, I think some of, and, some and of us, with, yeah, yeah, with young adults who are, you know, really on the more severe end, we panic because I, I mean, I will take care of my son here in our home as long as I physically am able to, but there's going to probably be a point when I'm 60, 70, 80, that I can't keep, you know, bathing him. And if he needs that and changing his, you know, pull-ups and things like that. So, you know, I worry, like what I've done research-wise, at least here um, where I live is it seems like it's either a group home, which doesn't sound anything like what you have. I mean, they call it a group home because I think they're just throwing a bunch of people into the home and you have to have a certain skill level to be in there. And then the other option for us would be like a nursing home where he would be the youngest by 20 or 30 years, you know, in a nursing home setting and be treated like he is, you know, unable to do much of anything. And I don't want that, you know, for mm -hmm. him. Right, right. And that is the case, uh, a lot of places across uh, the country and even across Louisiana, that is what group homes are. Mm -hmm. That's not what Stark is. It's not what Stark is. Yeah. Well, um, I guess going back a little bit, how old is John Dottie? He's 23. 23. So when he was diagnosed um, and growing up, there weren't a lot of things like ABA and some of those programs. Um, I know from just kind of reading in your article that, um, you know, you kind of did real world scenarios with him. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? You kind of created your own ABA before there was ABA, but <laughs> you're ahead <laughs> of the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't available. And, you know, um, for John growing up in, you know, I guess in that time span, uh, and probably still is going on, you know, insurance companies don't pay this. So you're trying to pay for stuff out of pocket and you, know, you can't pay for a, a speech and a, and a physical therapy and OT and ABA coming five days a week. You know, most families can't. So, um, but I was able to get uh, finally when it was covered by, you know, our healthcare provider, um, I had I set up ABA to come to the house and we sat down and made specific goals about uh, just certain things that, um, could be learned more kind of in the home or just didn't have time at school. And those were more like, um, uh, we, uh, did a lot of role-playing. The girl that came and worked with them was phenomenal. Like she would come and they would sit down and they would talk for a while. Now, John, his, um, his number one thing is Disney. Mm. He loves Disney. He's got over 1200 capes they're all in my garage uh, <laughs> um, but he's just and he's just a walking encyclopedia of all of it so if you want to talk with him he'll uh, Disney's fine anything else it was really hard to get something out so she taught him how to if she asked him you know how are you and he would answer then they started with okay I want you to ask me how am I and let's talk let's have a little bit different conversation and then we'll get to your Disney 
things and we'll talk about what you prefer to talk about. So um, he learned to kind of start having conversations, you know, how, how are you, how was your day, um, and to listen to the other person and then just try to come up with something, you know, to build more of a mm -hmm. conversation than just, you know, hello, let me tell you about Disney, you know, Disney movies. So we practice a lot of that. We practice a lot of um, safety issues. You know, she would come to the door and she would knock on the door and she would say, hi, this is mom. And he would say, okay, you can come in. Or she would say, hi, this is the mailman. And he, he learned that I don't know that person because mom hasn't told me that that's a person that is, you know, a friend. And he would come to wherever I was sitting. Can you say, mom, there's, there's a stranger at the door. So he learned how to not just open the door for anybody. Yeah. So, and then she took him out to the corner and they practice at the stop sign in the you know, neighborhood. Let's stop and look for cars and let's, you know, stop and look before we walk across. The so we did just kind of normal daily things when you're out. John would walk straight through a parking lot and he wouldn't look for a yeah. car and, you know, uh, and uh, somebody's at the door, come on in, you know, if the door is <laughs> open. So he had to learn some some protective modes, you know, and just, and then just some, um, regular, um, uh, ways to just communicate and, and to start having a conversation. And he's really grown from that. Now he'll, there are times where he'll think about something and say, well, how, now he'll ask the question without being prompted. How was your day? Which just thrills me, you know, that he, number one, he's thought about it. And number two, it's enough that he's wants to know what my answer is. So those are a lot of the things that we we worked on. We did a lot of role playing of if somebody asked you this and then he learned too, if he wanted to talk about Disney off the, you know, off the beginning that the therapist would say, OK, we'll talk about that in about five minutes. Let's talk about this. So he learned to wait before we just sat there and talked about Disney. So those are the kind of things that we worked on at home, just normal everyday interactions. Mm -hmm and a lot of safety things i had i called the local police department and had this police officers come to the house yeah um and talk to him of course he called first one day he called mm -hmm. 911 and they came to the house and uh he opened the door and and they were walking down the front walkway and he opened the door and he he said it works mm -hmm. it really works <laughs> no that's <so> funny. <laughs> And I said, yes, it works, but let's talk about why you need 911. So the, the, the policemen were awesome. All the police officers, and we've got an amazing police and fire department in our, in our community because they have all been trained and certified to handle as first responders for, you know, anyone with a disability. So they're aware that there might be that situation out there it was great, but I've had him in my house a couple of times to talk to him about, you know, why it's important to listen. And, you know, if you call the police and this is where we're, we're good people, you know, we're not here. So um, I try to just think of, of things that are just kind of normal that happens in your day to expose yeah. him. It's easy to, to kind of gloss over some of that because we instinctively already know those things. And so we just kind of forget that they need to be taught every single thing. At what age did you kind of start this role-playing with him? Was he young or was he more in his teen years when you? He was probably about um, 16, I think, when I finally, you know, yeah, yeah. About 16 when we started. Yeah, yeah I've had, um, I actually had a, um, a fire chief on, um, I don't know, several months back. And um, she was suggesting kind of exactly what you said about identifying the, um, the chapters of the police and the fire departments near your home 
and let them know where you live. Um, if you do have someone that's an eloper, like it sounds like John was kind of an eloper growing up, um, kind of runner, uh, that they know that they have that on their radar and they automatically know the places near your home where they could be if they have to look for them. And just in general, if they call, they know exactly what the phone calls coming from my home with a special needs child in it, they know to rush or, you know, whatever. It could be a, a false alarm like John's, but uh, they at least know where I am. So, yeah, you know, and it's, such, it's such an easy thing to do. I did the same thing. I just called my local police department and said, this is me. This is where I live. I have a child with autism. He's a runner. So just want you to know that he's here in this neighborhood and they put it in their logs and notes. And so they know from the call, it's, it's one phone call and it's all text. I got the, the stickers to put on my, you know, by my front door in the window, you know, occupant with autism may not respond to verbal commands. You, know, you can get that from the autism society yep. or autism speaks and, and had those in certain places. Um, I mean, I've seen uh, here uh, even close to John's house, there's a, a sign like you see with the um, children, no, children crossing signs mm -hmm. you know, they've got signs, a child with special needs, you know, uh, caution child. So you're not flying down that road, you know, yep. so there's, a lot of just little things that are really easy to kind of get you just don't kind of think about it but particularly just calling the police department say can you come over introduce yourself so they when they know when they see your uniform you're a good person they're not going to be afraid to come to you mm -hmm. you know that you're okay and that mom and dad say this person's okay for you to to go to you know if we're not around yeah uh, just and then absolutely for them to know that your child is there and and to know that if something happens, they know the situation around it. It's a nice two-way street because with, you know, John being able to talk to them and uh, it might not be those exact officers that he sees, but he understands that if they say, stop, you know, we need you to stop for a second, that he does it and that nothing goes, um, you know, goes ne negative um, in those encounters. Uh, so that's, that's definitely a really good thing. And for them to know who he is in the community and his roommates and all of that. So if, they see them out, they don't, you know, jump on them without cause <laughs> to be a little more understanding. Right. And so, you know, the nice thing here too is that is the community has just embraced all of the star clients. Um, so they're they're pretty much rock stars, I guess, around the area here because so great. the whole community knows them and yeah. the police and firemen know them and you know the mayor knows them. And so uh -huh. they're um they're very uh involved and they're um they're seen around a lot and um that's good because uh the community is aware of them and they feel comfortable in it but the, the community is also comfortable uh and very too. yeah that's what every parent wants mark how do you guys do that i mean what what are your what is your main focus i guess for reaching out to the community on a regular basis and um making sure that that is the way that the situation is for everyone yeah. we do a lot right there again in our in our name community connections but we we do a lot to uh to to have community involvement because it is important not only for the individuals we serve but also for the community to be educated and you know a lot of times somebody's just not comfortable because they're not they've never had an interaction with someone with severe autism or, or down syndrome or whatever it have, uh, may be but we do a lot uh, we have events where we include the fire department we have a thing called water day uh, where we have water slides and, and lots of different uh, fun water events and the fire department and police uh, recruits like in, the ones in the academy they come and help us run it uh, so we do a lot of that and we just we have a lot of different events in the community uh fundraisers or uh, art night we do art night 
that's, that's one of the really cool things we do at Stark. We have a big art program and no, no matter what level of artist they are, they can still develop something. And so we do uh, various types of art. We do greeting cards uh, and on the back, we have a bio and a picture of each artist if the family would like the picture and the bio one. Uh, so you can find that stuff on our website at starkla.org or on our Facebook page at Stark Louisiana. Uh, but we, we invite uh, people from the community in to do tours of our facilities. Uh, we want them to know what we're doing here at Stark. Uh, and we also invite them often to do tours of our homes. Uh, you know, we don't just bring people in constantly to our homes and, 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 and show them off, but we do uh, tours for, for various areas of our organization. Uh, we have a supported employment program, and that's where we find jobs for individuals, higher functioning individuals in mm -hmm. the community. So we have relationships with hundreds of employers uh, just through the, the over probably 150 people we have placed through supported employment. Uh, but we find them a job at, at a grocery store doing the, the carts or the bags, uh, um, um, pizza place, folding the boxes. Uh, so we find them jobs in the community and then we send job coaches in to help them go through the training process and then uh, we provide follow along. So we have uh, connections all over the community through that program as well. Um, so yeah, it's important not only, like I said, not only for our individuals, but for the community as well. It's so nice to have so many avenues for them to have independence. I think that's, you know, ultimately as a parent, what we really want for our young adults. And I, I know that's what they want too. Just some something that they can do on their own and they're not just placed all day in a you know, kind of like a glorified daycare type of a setting or taking little field trips back and forth to the zoo or whatever. I mean, that's fun sometimes, but it just, they want to do more and they're capable of so much more than I think they get credit for a lot of times. So programs like this are just so needed in every state. Is Spark a franchise? Can we, can I, can I start it here? <laughs> that's a lot of years of work, but you know, <laughs> yeah. we, we were developed in 1972 and we went from serving uh one one individual to net to we've served to as many as a thousand at one time uh we're not quite at that number now we're in the i think the 800s a number of people we're currently providing services for and not only st tammany parish but the, the surrounding parishes as well called the florida parishes the uh, five florida parishes yeah. well that just tells you i mean if you had upwards of a thousand and you're even at 800 now and it was started so many years ago it the there are so many young adults aging out of services i think i read some statistic it's in the millions in the u.s every single year and it's insane that by you know by the time my son ages out of services there's just there's just not enough there's not enough places like this and it's, it's really depressing. I, I mean, it keeps us up at night. And I know that, you know, you kind of mentioned that a little bit in the article too, Dottie, about, you know, just ma mailing in like eighth grade timeframe, you started thinking about the future for John and, and all of this was weighing on you and it weighs on all of us. And I, um, you know, I know he is thriving and loving being independent and you really are getting a kick out of Skyping with him and, you know, seeing him thrive. Um, I just, imagine you sleep better. And I wondered what that's done for your peace of mind, knowing that John is taken care of, that he and Spark are a partnership and um, he's in good hands. Uh, well, absolutely. I think um, I was thinking about that on the way over here 
this morning reading the questions and, you know, about what my answer would be to that. And I can tell you, I think my joy feeds off of his, his joy. I feed off of, you know, yeah. but the fact that he's been, he's been in this home, it's going to be three years in July. And part of it just feels a lot of it feels like it just happened, but it's the fact that he has not asked me to move home once <laughs> in almost three years and she was worried she i was, was worried. worried i was like i was worried um because he's like i want to try this for a month and then i want to move back home and i'm like i, I knew that that was just not going to happen I, I couldn't do it um but knowing that he's had that he's never asked me knowing that even when we come and have we have our dinner dates on friday night i right. know uh well covid we just kind of eat outside but we used to go and go out to dinner on friday nights to have dinner date and as soon as dinner's over, he's like, okay, I'm done. You can go home now. Mm -hmm. you, know? I'm like, okay. you know, but that just, I get in my car and it just, my heart just bursts because he's like, I'm happy. I'm here. I'm home. I, I, I have my routine. I know you're close by. Um, knowing that, you know, Stark does such an amazing job at hiring people who I feel just have given that special gift from God to be able to do this because you have to have a special heart and a special, you know, just a gift to be able to um, reach out to these kids and connect to these kids and be compassionate and understanding and non-judgmental. It takes a really special person to do that. And um, he loves all the people that he works with. Um, he loves the guys that he's living with. They just turn out to be really big buddies, you know, and just knowing that he is happy um, and I know that he's got a productive life there and I know he's going to be taken care of. I can't even explain. It was just so much more than I ever imagined that he would have available to him, you know, which just makes me wish I wish other people and other states and communities could have what we, the, what they've developed here for him. Mm -hmm. because he's just, he's so happy. And every day he tells me he doesn't want to come home mm -hmm. is a good day. <laughs> well, I imagine, did you make some new friends too with the, the moms of the other residents that he, John lives with? You know, I, we have, uh, you know, I've had friends from when he was really young, you know, all through school that I still stay in touch with. And, you know, it, it, it you have that just certain co community of uh, when we talk about the weird and odd and funny things that our kids do, you're in a group that everybody goes, yep, yeah, mm -hmm. mine does that too. <laughs> very confident to know, you know, you're not out there alone, which is very yeah. important for parents to know that you're not out there alone that there are other people going exactly the same thing you did yeah so. it's nice to now have podcasts and social media because back when my son and, and yours were diagnosed there wasn't any of this so we were just kind of traveling alone trying to figure this out yeah. of exactly. what to do and how That's to exactly do it right. so exactly. I guess kind of along those lines um you know at the, at the end of your article you shared some suggestions for parents to help the entire family with the transition into adulthood. And I wondered if you could share some of those things um, from, from a mom's perspective. And then if Mark, if you could kind of share with us when you get someone even in the high school program transitioning over and coming to you know the Spark facility a few days a week and all of that, how you guys help the transition for the individual into going into you know kind of independence. So, Daddy, do you want to start, I guess, give some advice uh, to some parents? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, um, like, yeah, I just pointed out some things in the article about, um, you know, there are some organizations out there that usually like early intervention or early steps, you know, for that seem to be for a while, especially in the past 10 years or since John was diagnosed, that 
there, there's a huge focus on early intervention, trying to catch it. That's great. We did a lot of stuff, you know, to catch it early, but now that that's established, well, those kids are now, you know, the age of scholar, you know, and so now we got to go to the other end and say, great, we've done a great job of it, of, of finding it early and, and, you know, dealing with it early, but those same organizations need to, uh, expand I guess their age range to say okay now we got to go with them and move along with them uh, and make sure so um, that's kind of what I meant about you know finding uh, organizations that have younger kids um, early intervention inclusion daycare systems, even special olympics mm. special olympics is phenomenal I mean uh, that's a great resource in any state to reach out to special olympics and say mm -hmm. hey what do you have we've got this group is there anything that your local representative can come and start a bowling league. They've got mm -hmm. an awesome bowling oh. league here that they got. And cool. They are serious. <laughs> I would never bowl against them because they are so good. Um, but yeah. they love this this bowling league and the, the Special Olympics um, is a great to me, a great resource to try to start some community activities with them. Yes. Um, I really feel an untapped resource is your local uh, representatives, your state and local house representatives. Uh, I met one of our uh, former House of Representatives um, about an issue that we were having, uh, and we actually were able to have legislation changed to do some protection for kids with um, disabilities while they're in the school system that was much needed. And um, there is a lot of support there that I think you just don't reach out to mm -hmm. and think about, but they really want to help. And so yeah. anything they can do to help start because they have contacts, they have networks and they can get groups together about helping starting some programs or activities or uh, reaching out. Um, I think that's an untapped resource. Um, again, like we, we talked about the daily living skills, social skills and starting those. Um, yeah, mid, mid middle school to early junior high for sure, you know, mm -hmm. um, start growing up and just they're having to interact everybody's changing and they're developing on their own they're becoming independent they're becoming the other individual and so um working on that i think um is really good um so um and then for the community events you know i found a lot of the paras um that work in the school were willing to volunteer on the weekends or evenings to help you know if you had a if you went on a bowling night or you went on a movie night they'd come out and just kind of help you know, with the kids or whatever on their own. So um, there's a lot of, um, I think there's just a lot of resources. It sounds overwhelming, mm -hmm. I know, mm -hmm. because all of all of us just feel like it's just so much and I can only do so much and uh, I'll be the only one. Um, so I'd say, you know, just take it a bite at a time, you know, and if you've got a group of other moms that, you know, can help you with it, go as a group, you know, absolutely contact the state and local chapters of the autism side of your down syndrome or uh just whatever you know um and go as a group go to your local representatives that you voted in you know and go as a group and say we have this need in our area and uh we need some support and we need some funding you know um because i think that's why we put them in those positions to do that so i think yep. we need to take advantage of that and and ask for their help in the community to establish it so it maintains whatever funding you can get from it or grants or you know anything like that 
Yeah, it, it's great to have moms like this, I tell you, that, <laughs> that advocate, you know, because uh, it really helps us as organizations do our job when we have parents uh, like Dottie and like yourself, Lori, out there advocating uh, and, and letting the, the uh, community know what you need uh, as a family. But uh, I, I, I guess at Stark, every situation is different, uh, but like I, I'll speak more specific to John's situation. Uh, he came a couple days a week while he was at school with the, uh, the teachers and the parents from the school system. And we kind of figured out what was the best fit for John. And then once he was here in our day programs, and, and this happens with all of our participants, we see what needs uh, might be out there as far as this family could really use our residential services. So we'll talk to them about it and let them know we have an opening or we might have an opening uh, coming up or we'll get them on a waiting list. Um, so it just depends situation by situation on how we help them to uh, adapt into our services. But usually it's kind of a smoothless transition. You know, Dottie, I, I kid her, uh, you know, but she, I, any family that is moving their loved one into one of our homes is nervous about it. I mean, they're all nervous about it. And I tell them they're going to be fine. I promise you, they're going to, you, you'll see, you know, just give it time. And I can understand uh, how scary it must be, you know, dealing with it. And I tell you, today's really been, awesome for me to, to hear you talk about the, the childhood years. I don't really do that. I don't really, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not involved with that. So it's, it's interesting to hear kind of some of the things that y'all have dealt with uh, through those years. But I would tell, you know, in, in states like yours, where you say there's not a lot of, of services available, reach out to your legislators, let them know you need these services and, uh, you know, get a group together to try to See if you can talk to a lobbyist, um, but the, it, it all starts with the legislature. I mean, that's where it, it all happens. So, um, get if what depending on what state you're in, make sure you get them on the waiting list for services. At one time here in Louisiana, you, you could be on the waiting list for seven to eleven years before oh, yeah, you get funding. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. But uh, make sure you, as soon as you know. You get on the list. I have a good buddy of mine whose uh, son was just uh, diagnosed with autism, and we immediately got him on that list. And it's a process. I mean, you got to go through all these different channels, but uh, get them on there as early as you possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. When we put Skylar on the waiver um, for our state, he was just diagnosed, and I think he was three, and they said they were just paying out and like adding people for services um, from 1990 four or something like that and he was born in 2003 and right. <laughs> we got him on the list in 2006 they were like 10 15 years like of a list it was insane so um <laughs> we just dealt with it <laughs> that's yeah. all you can do mm -hmm. I know uh, this, this might be a little different topic but in, in along lines with that i don't know how many parents know about uh tutorship uh four-year child and um getting tutorship um, before they turn 18 bef uh, because after 18 it becomes interdiction and it's a much harder more complicated process legal, uh, legal process to have that uh, authority um, over uh, your child who is not able to make the decisions that need to be made so uh, get, it's called tutorship having tutorship if, before they turn age 18. Um, and so I got that with John. So then once he turned 18, 
there were no decisions that, I mean, because as an 18 year old, autistic or not, if he went into the hospital, they couldn't tell me anything because he's a legal adult, whether he has autism or not, unless I had a tutorship over, which means I'm his caregiver, I'm his primary tutor, I make the decisions for him. Uh, which also helps that nobody can go take his name and open up a credit card. No female can come along and, and marry him, you know. Um, so it protects him because at age 18, when you're you legally determine an adult, that you can make those executive decisions. John cannot. So in order to protect him and to make sure that I can stay involved in his care and his medical needs and any decisions that's made for him, that I attained tutorship over him, which is a very easy process. They do, uh, you know, you go to a psychologist, they do an evaluation, to determine his IQ level, and then you can just get an attorney to, you know, draft up a tutorship document and take it to the judge. And he says, okay, I see this child, once he turns 18, is not capable of making this decision. So I'm gonna grant the tutorship to this person, which, you know, for John, it was me. And it's, um, it's until I die. And then you also have an under tutor. So if I die, the person underneath that, which is his dad, uh, becomes a tutor. So it's lifetime. So um, that protects us both. That protects you know him and it keeps uh, me able to make sure that anything that happens with him, I'm involved with because I know, you know, that's, that's just the law. You turn 18. And, you, and so it can be done after 18, but it's a lot harder um, the process to go through after that. Is a tutorship the same thing as a guardianship? Because we're, we're doing the guardianship process now, but it can't be done until they're 18. And that's the same thing. It, it, uh, it guarantees that I'm his guardian for life because he can't make any of the decisions on his own. So the judge grants the guardianship to me and my husband. Um, I, I wasn't aware of anything you could do prior to them turning 18 because they technically are your responsibility and you make the decisions until they well, turn 18. You know, it might be state specific. It'd be great yeah, to let the state to see because under under eighteen, uh, if the child's a minor, um, what what we're saying is once he turns eighteen, that chronological number, he's still considered a minor as far as his psychological and developmental level. Gotcha. So um, it's it's a lot easier to in in the state of Louisiana uh, to get the tutorship before he turns eighteen. Because uh, because he's just going to continue at that level. He's reached a level that we know he's not going to get any, uh, you know, and usually can start between around age 15 or 16, you mm -hmm. know, to do it because usually the development between those two years is not going to be significant to where all of a sudden he can make the decisions of an 18 year old. Right. But it just makes it, it makes it easier for the transition once he goes into adulthood that um, you already have that guardian, like you said, guardianship, tutorship mm -hmm. over to make those decisions. But those are the kind of things that a lot of parents are just not aware of. And I don't know if there's really a specific person or organization yeah. who is required to tell them that, just like the waiver services uh, to, to get them on. So yeah. um, that's and SSI too is a, is a really yes. hard thing because no one tell, I mean, thank God for all the autism moms that I know that have been through yes. it, that I've met yeah. through this because um, they are the ones that explain the fine details to me about charging my son rent and, and lots of things that go along with it that no one's going to tell you. Right. So, you right. know, right. Yep. We're constantly having to work together. <laughs> Autism parents is a huge village, which that's I am exactly glad right. to be a part of because <laughs> I could exactly not do this right. by myself. 
And that's a good thing about it. It's a great thing that we have each other, but it's a bad thing that we shouldn't have to rely on each other for that kind of information where it should be coming from some of the place. And that's just another, you know, star for Stark is that they know all of this. And when mm -hmm. the child comes into, you know, uh, across them to, you know, um, to evaluate, they know all of these things, get the tutorship, start on the now waiver, you know, sign, sign a press, sign, get all this stuff going down because we know how long it takes Yeah. or prepared for this when they do a certain age. So at least, you know, you're not, you know, getting behind the eight ball and having to hurry up and do it if something happens, particularly yeah. if you don't have that before they're, they're turned 18. We have a position here at Stark that's called our SPO, uh, single point of entry, and you can call and talk to that person and they can send you in any direction uh, specific to your personal needs. So I'd say, you know, if any agencies out there are listening, uh, that's a, something you, you might want to look into. That's been very helpful for us and families. Sounds like you guys have it all covered there at Spark. So from young age to adult years and everything in between, that is remarkable. I am just thrilled that I know something like this exists. And like I said, I'm not totally joking that we, we may end up moving to Louisiana and uh, showing up at the Spark door <laughs> and asking for help. But um, it's just nice to know that this exists. And when I do talk to the congressman um, in my area and everyone else, these are the kind of facilities that I want to reference. Like, why aren't we doing this? You know, where do we get the funding to start something like this? Because it's not just my son. I mean, I'm towards that end now of already needing all of this stuff that isn't here. But um, it's for the new ones, the three-year-olds, the four-year-olds that are just getting started in their family's journey. And if we could, you know, build places like Spark all over the country, it would help so much with everyone. So the future is <laughs> is bright thanks to Spark. I'm gonna <laughs> go on a mi my countrywide mission to try to you know model your program. But um, thank you guys oh, so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and uh, you've shared so much great information with families today. And, and I would uh, just close with saying that if you want to see what we do and have some ideas, you can go to Stark, S-T-A-R-C. <laughs> uh, now you're confusing me. <laughs> uh, uh, that, it's Stark of Louisiana or uh, StarkLA.org. And that's S-T-A-R-C, not S-T-A-R-C. Right. Sorry, it's my accent. <laughs> it sounds like Spark when I say it. <laughs> yes, Stark. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Have a fabulous rest of your day. Thank you so much. We enjoyed it. Wonderful to meet you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.